all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with Dr. Michelle Owens, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. Okay, all you moms out there, how many times have you said one of these phrases to your kid? Because I said so. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. As long as you're under my roof, you live by my rules. Our topic today, how to talk to your teenager. Our special guest is Dr. David Elkin, Executive Director of the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMC. So get ready with your questions. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. You can also send us an email if you prefer to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to start the show after news from NPR on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Trump's charged up conservative activists at their annual CPAC conference in Oxon Hill, Maryland. Moments after taking the podium, Trump launched into what's become a frequent attack on the press in light of a string of controversial reports that he has repeatedly disputed as fake. A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. Because they have no sources... They just make them up when there are none. This says the Trump administration denies that it attempted to put pressure on the FBI to refute a news story. It says the FBI itself raised questions about coverage. At issue is a CNN story that Chief of Staff Reince Priebus leaned on the FBI to discount a story about alleged links between Trump campaign officials and Russian intelligence officials. Producers of the Fox show 24 Legacy are apologizing for using real footage of a terrorist attack in Kenya. NPR's Ada Peralta reports the scene provoked outrage in the country. The scene features an intelligence agent briefing authorities about the possibility of a terrorist attack on U.S. soil. This footage from the Algerbad market in Alexandria, Egypt, three years ago. The attack was planned and executed by Bin Khalid and his men. Over 200 people lost their lives. Except the surveillance video she was showing was of an attack in Kenya. Real gunmen opening fire on real Kenyans inside the Westgate Mall back in 2013. Kenya's Film Classification Board said the series was, quote, repulsive and insensitive. In a statement, Fox Studios says they regret using documentary footage in a fictional setting. The network says it will remove the footage from all future versions of the show. Ada Pralta, NPR News, Nairobi. After this year's wet winter, more than 80 percent of California is now drought-free, according to the latest U.S. Drought Monitor map. The state's been battling the drought for five years, but as Daniel Carson tells us, the state isn't out of the woods yet. After getting slammed with a conveyor belt of storms this winter, no part of California is an extreme drought, the worst level. Meteorologist Joe Serrard calls the turnaround remarkable, 
but Southern California needs at least one more wet winter to completely erase drought conditions. Certainly it's a far cry from the uh, extreme and exceptional drought we've had, but we still have drought conditions, believe it or not, so we have to wait for uh, more rain to come in on top of what we've had. In some areas, groundwater aquifers are still nowhere near replenished, which is why state regulators voted to keep water conservation measures in place at least until May, the end of California's rainy season. For NPR News, I'm Danielle Carson in Los Angeles. U.S. stocks are trading lower with the Dow WAP 60 points to 20,750. This is NPR News. Iraqi warplanes have attacked ISIS targets in neighboring Syria after Islamic State militants detonated bombs in Baghdad in recent weeks. Prime Minister Haider al-Abadi released a statement in which he says the dawn strikes were aimed at two towns and were, quote, successful. It's uncertain how many people were killed and how many may have been civilians. A ground offensive is also underway for control of all of Mosul in Iraq, though western, more densely populated part of that city is still under ISIS rule. Troops recently seized Mosul's international airport, which they want to use as a staging area to conduct its operations to retake the remaining ISIS strongholds inside Mosul. Turkey's military says it launched more airstrikes in northern Iraq, killing 27 Kurdish militants. And PR's Peter Kenyon says the attack comes as Turkey's president prepares to meet the head of northern Iraq's Kurdish regional government. The Turkish general staff issued a statement describing the latest airstrikes, which it said were carried out Wednesday afternoon in the Kandil Mountains. Militants from the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK, have had bases in that remote part of northern Iraq for years, and the statement said the military received intelligence about a PKK gathering. The decades-long conflict between Turkey and the PKK resumed in 2015, after a more than two-year pause for reconciliation talks that ultimately broke down. Turkey's foreign ministry, meanwhile, says President Recep Tayyip Erdogan will be meeting Kurdish regional government head Masoud Barzani on Sunday. Barzani has joined Turkish officials in criticizing the PKK. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Bluevine, offering businesses revolving lines of credit to cover expenses, make payroll, purchase supplies, and to expand. Credit lines up to $100,000. Learn more at Bluevine.com. This is Southern Remedy for Women with Dr. Michelle Owens on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. And now... Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for joining us on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm here with Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Karen Brown. And our special guest today is Dr. David Elkin. He's the executive director of the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMC. So here we go, all you moms out there. I have a frog in my throat. Excuse me. All right. Oh, no. How many times, Mom, have you said this phrase to one of your kids? Because I said so. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. As long as you're under my roof, you live by my rules. Our topic today, how to talk to your teenager. Hopefully not just that. (laughs) Hopefully not that at all, really. But uh, we welcome Dr. David Elkin. And before we find out more about you, just good morning, Dr. Owens. Good morning, Dr. Elkin. 
Good morning. Good morning. Anything to share, Dr. Owens, before we get started? Oh, good. You're all over my street with that. Uh, because I said so. <laughs> I had one of those moments where for the first time, um, my, I, I have, because my kids are at the why stage, right? So everything is why, 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 and it's like there's never an end point. So you answer the first why, and then you get the second why. Well, why? Well, why is that? Well, why is that? And then finally, I was like, because I said so. And I had that moment where I just thought, oh, I have become that mother. Yep. Kind of like, I yep. guess, mine. And then I thought, I went through oh my that. gosh. And then as, cool, as kids get older, they start saying, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> They're like, but why? Yes, I am. Oh my gosh, that thing. It was like, but why? But why? I was like, you do know that there are other, like, there are other W words. We can do something else besides why. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited because I think that there will be, I, I actually have a little notepad here so that I can take down some personal notes that me I will too. be I, able to take home with I me. I need a notebook. I don't, a little pad won't do it for me. For what it's worth. <laughs> right. And we're like, oh, and we have the clinical psychology person here. So it's like professional opinions. I can, we got Dr. Elgin, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And uh, well, t- start by telling us about yourself. It's a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so um, I'm kind of a townie in a sense. My dad is from Kosciuszko. Um, and I trained away, but I came back uh, first chance I got. And I've enjoyed being back here uh, at UMC for the past oh, 18 years or so. Did Why you did grow you choose? up there? I went through fourth grade here in Jackson and moved okay. away to right. Memphis. But how did you choose this field? Oh, it's a good question. I, I swore I'd be anything but a psychologist because my dad's a psychologist. And so you got to do something different, right? You got to yeah. make your own way. And then I just sort of backed into it, honestly. Um, did and, you rebel first and before you backed into it? <laughs> I, I did. And I had to apologize to him and say, <laughs> Dad, I'm sorry. I was such a terrible child. It's like the testament to how good of a psychologist his dad was because the whole time he was thinking it wasn't going to happen. He and his dad probably always knew, yeah, yeah. This, is ha- this is totally happening. Now that we know we're talking to psychologists that can probably help you, let me give the phone number out, 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Now, what we don't want to do today is say, uh, Dr. Elkin, I I think I have a dual personality. (laughs) How can you help me? We're we're talking about talking to your teenagers. So um, we hope you'll focus on that. And we already have a phone call from Roger, who is calling in from Florence. Hi, Roger. Well, good morning. I'm a loyal listener, and I'm not a woman, but I've got a comment that I think would apply. We love the men as well, Roger. (laughs) Great. Well, you do such a great job, and thank you all for that. Uh, I have a daughter-in-law who, uh, in my opinion and the opinion of others, has the main problem with her tone. Instead of saying, uh, do this or do that, she shouts it. Uh, she seldom, you know, reasons with the kids, and they rebel. And they're teenagers, and uh, I understand why. And I think that people, if they, it's not the words, it is the words that matter, but the way you deliver them can mean whether or not those words are accepted or not. And they have a lot to do with their rebellious attitude, and should. So uh, I'd like you to discuss the value of not trying, not trying to reason and explain why. You may have to say, because I said so. But you can say, you can put your arm around your child and you can say, honey, you're not 18 yet, and this is the way I see it, and it's because I said so. I love you. <laughs> and, and, but not do it. Shut up. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to hang up and listen to your discussion. I think it's a very valuable uh, part of what you'll have to say today. Bye. Thanks so much, Roger. Thanks.
Roger's getting us started off with a bang. Yeah. Well, the, he raised a very good point. So the first thing, Roger, you mentioned is that um, she starts off with emotion and anger in her voice. And if you've if you've started addressing your child and you're already on edge, you've lost the fight. Um, and it's hard sometimes. I'm a parent. I have kids. Believe me, I know. But the best way to uh, address a child is, I don't want to say... I, unemotional, but emotionless as much as possible. And to keep that tone nice and flat, some parents may say, but my child doesn't listen to me unless I raise my voice or unless I get you know angry. They're not paying attention to me. There are things we can talk about here about how to get to that point uh, before you lose your cool. But he raises a very good point. You give a command and you give a child a short period of time to comply. The child doesn't. You go right to consequences. And that way the parent stays cool and calm because if the parent loses her or his uh, cool and their, their emotions get hot, who's driving that boat? The child is. And you don't want the child driving the boat. You want to be the one in charge of your emotions, of the situation, of everything. Um, and that's why it's very important to approach a child in an unemotional way when you're giving commands. Well, I think that's also a good point just for us in general, um, because, you know, a lot of what we were talking about as we are talking about our children um, or speaking to children, whether they're stepchildren or other children around in the neighborhood, like it's there are also things that you find like they're little they're little people. They're they're little human beings. And there's a certain degree of respect that you would still give a child. And, you know, usually you think of that as the child respecting the adult. But I think that they and especially with teenagers, as they're kind of in that in-between period, they're starting to perceive themselves as moving from one stage of development into another. And while they may not have a great idea about what that really means or how much like an adult they really are, I think that when you can speak respectfully um, even if your message may not be a great message or a, it may not be a necessarily something positive that you're relaying to your child or if you're talking about something that's difficult, when the child senses that you care um, and if they sense that you are being respectful as you speak to them, then they may be more receptive to that. And I think tone plays a role in that. And if you think about it just as an adult, how would you like another adult to speak to you? And sometimes, if even if you have a great message, that message can be lost in the delivery. If you don't deliver that right, we know that is working with with other adults, with our coworkers, with our friends. Sometimes if you go too emotional, then it can actually dull a very important message and you end up missing an incredible opportunity. True. And you know, the thing also with kids is, as you mentioned, if you get emotional right out, out of the box immediately, you're training the child. You're teaching the child that you don't have to pay attention to me until uh, I lose my cool. Uh, that is not a lesson you want to teach a child. Yeah, you want a child to listen to your, your message. You said, Dr. Owens, right out of the box. Here's what I'm saying. And listen to it without having to raise my voice. And I think the other thing about modeling and training, they that's the thing that I'm learning. And it's funny because when our children do something that is a little shocking to my husband and I, we both look at each other and we're like, is that you or is that me? Like, <laughs> because they are, they're sponges and they're soaking up all these things. And, and it, you know, it's, the, it's like reality TV before reality TV exists. They're, they are the cameras that are watching and recording and perceiving everything, even those things that we don't notice. We had a situation occur as I was taking my children to school 
And um, it was there was a an accident. My children witnessed the accident. I wasn't involved in it. We weren't. Fortunately, we were all fine. And the people who were involved were fine. But when we got home that evening, my husband was asking the kids, well, what were you guys doing? What happened yesterday? And he was referring to a little special play or something that they were doing at school. But the kids immediately started to tell him about this crash, the car crash. And my my husband was asking, these are my three-year-olds. Well, you know, what happened when the crash happened? And he was asking in the adult way, like, what car hit what, what was going on? And they were like, well, this happened, and Mommy got out, and she told us to stay where we were. And then she walked over, and she asked if everybody was okay. And they are recounting all of these things. And at the time, it didn't even dawn on me that they were really noticing my actions. But even 12... 14 hours later, they were able to explain very clearly what I thought they would have been more concerned about the car hitting something, but they were real. They had noticed exactly how I responded, what I said. They said verbatim the things that I said to the people who were involved in the accident. And it was very eye opening to me because I realized that they're doing that all the time. Well, that's the parent's job. The parent's job, as you described, is to interpret reality. Ultimately, so reality happens. The world occurs around us. When we're driving to school and you see a wreck. The parent's job is basically to say, let me tell you what this means. Let me show you what we do. So reality occurs. Let me interpret it for you. Let me behave as I hope you behave when you get older. Let me say the things I want you to say. And you, you recounted a great example. A parent's job is to interpret reality for their kids. Yeah, and realize that happens whether you're intentional about it or not. <laughs> Exactly, which is yeah, scary. So surprised it really you is. as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was it for me yesterday. I was we done. need to take a break, and we, uh, when we come back, I want to ask about, um, well, a trans- transitioning into teenage years and beyond and talking to your kids of that age. We are talking about, well, talking to your teenagers, how to do it, how to, how to get the results that you hope for, how to respect your child and have them respect you. The number to call is 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. Or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after this. The new administration's first 100 days, and the news is coming fast. Protesters arrived here. Keystone XL pipeline. The Affordable Care Act. New refugee Obamacare. admissions for 100. All things considered, we'll be here to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. Hi, this is Bill Ellison, host of Grassroots on MPB. Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass and his band, the Bluegrass Boys, spent many a Saturday night in the 30s and 40s performing at dances. This Saturday night on Grassroots, we'll play one of Bill's favorite dance numbers, the Bluegrass Stomp. Also, we'll check out the new CD from Allison Krauss. Hope you can listen to Grassroots Saturday night at 8 on MPB Think Radio. For moments in black history, we salute Fannie Lou Hamer. The civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer is known for her words, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, during her testimony at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. But the Mississippi native would also lend her voice to many freedom songs during the civil rights movement. Fannie Lou Hamer was a true champion of the people, and we salute her leadership. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History. 
news you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. Our subject today is talking to your teenagers or younger kids, because we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, our special guest, Dr. David Elkin. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here. And this is not personal at all. This is for a friend that asked me, when you have a teenager who is uh, entering or about to enter 2021, so they're in that really transition phase, uh, phase from teenager to young adult, and normally they would go off to college after high school. Well, my friend's son lives at home while he's going to college. And the mother wants to treat him as a young adult, but is still the mom, so kind of freaks out, wondering where he is late at night and and what he's doing. Now, when I was at college, my parents weren't around, so I was doing what I was doing. How much influence should the mother have or on on the sun before being too, I don't know. Too, Intrusive? Yeah, that. <laughs> I think it's an interesting situation that we're seeing more and more of in our society and culture is just exactly what you're describing. Um, and I think what needs to happen or what I would suggest happen in that situation is that a discussion happen on the front end. Because technically it is still her home. And she has the right to say, you know, I go to bed at 930 or 10 and when you come in at midnight, you wake me up. Or, you know, some of the things you're doing are disruptive to this household. Um, She has the right to say that. But he's also that young adult age. Um, Having those discussions on the front end, it it helps the situation. If he wants the privilege of living in that house as a 20-year-old, then he needs to abide by a certain set of rules. He may say, I don't want to do that. And as my father would say... Rents $500 a month, son. Uh, you can go somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, it, that sounds you know uh, trite, of course. But I think having that discussion with her son um, and saying, let's clarify some ground rules here. Um, and I think that gets it. It's pro- it becomes more difficult, I think, the farther away from that process you become. Because I um, I went to college locally compared with where my parents lived. But I lived and on campus so i lived kind of away from them and then but for a brief moment when i i went away to do um a research fellowship and so when i came back there was a time period although i don't remember much of it i've blocked it out of my head but my mom remind, reminds me very often that there was a period of time when i did live in their home and it was it was different from when i had lived in their home as a high school student and coming back and the other part was that the things that I was involved in and going back and forth and, you know, parties in college and things like that. It was it was different. But the other part was I also recognized that I lived in their home. And so while I at that time felt like I was an adult and felt like I was still relatively responsible, I also understood that there were certain rules and my parents weren't going to change just because I felt like I had continued to mature. But the interesting thing I, I want you to talk about this, David, because I was fascinated to find out. Talk about brain development um, as it pertains to teenagers and kind of when brain development really kind of 
dramatically slows down because I think sometimes um, it helps it probably helps to frame this conversation a little bit better and also kind of might help our listening audience to understand some of the biologic reasoning behind or biologic principles behind this process and why this period of time is so difficult. Yeah, so this period of time is a relatively new creation in our society and culture. It's called adolescence. Uh, you go back two generations, adolescence didn't exist. So it was uh, you were a kid or you were an adult, and that was it. And now adolescence spreads out, I think appropriately, up to sometimes the mid-20s um, because, as you said, brain development is not complete, um, especially in males, and I can say that. Um, you know, the frontal lobes don't come online fully until early to mid-20s. We know that. And so sometimes we see an adult body in our kids. We see even a 16-year-old who looks, acts like an adult in a sense, but doesn't think like an adult. And I think keeping that in mind is very helpful for parents. Uh, the way I'm speaking to you, you may not be able to understand it, or you may want to argue with me on certain things because you're not quite there yet, even though you look like an adult. Is that, um, you hear that kids think they're indestructible. Is that part of that, that they think nothing can happen to them? You know, they, they're not going to be in an accident or if they are, everything's OK. They don't they can't foresee that they might die someday. Correct. Because two things are happening there. They haven't had those experiences that we've had. So I'm 50. You know, I can look back and go, man, I barely escaped lots of things. And so I, I'm more cautious as I get older because there's more experiences. And also, as you were saying, Michelle, the brain isn't developed yet. They're not able to to play forward possible scenarios and to see into the future. And I don't mean gypsy crystal ball seeing the future, but I mean, if this happens and this might happen, which might lead to that. So the part of the brain that hasn't developed yet, is it the responsible part of the brain? It's is the frontal it, lobe, which it's is... that yeah. teaches responsibility or... Correct. It's that big hump that we have in the front of our head that my dog doesn't have. You know, it's this big thing that makes us human. And that ability to think, to be responsible, to plan, to inhibit some of our actions, some of the things we think we ought to do, and to, um, to reason things out. If you want to give us a call, we appreciate that. And we take your questions or comments at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. Or if you prefer, send an email to women at mpbonline.org. I have a, a question, and this is kind of more as, as I was thinking about this particular show and some of the things that people may um, may struggle with. One of the topics that I kept thinking about as being something that would be difficult to address or talk to um, with children or with teenagers um, are not just about the stuff you want to tell them to do or not to do and why it makes sense to do things a certain way. But how about those more difficult things like like death, for example, um, not so much. And it not so it doesn't even have to be like their friends or classmates or. Um, because usually if something like that happens in this age group, overwhelmingly, it's either an accident or it's suicide. Um, and those are kind of the most common things that you experience when, with adolescence and, and loss. But even when you're talking about the loss of, um, of other family members, and I think probably more so for those who are, uh, of course, younger, um, it would probably be more than a, more of a challenge. But how do you open the door to those conversations. What are some some tips or pointers that you might have for parents who are dealing with loss, whether it's family or friends, and helping their younger family member or their child 
process it and work through it. So I think that um, a parent's role here is to uh, be very um, forthcoming and very direct with kids. And that is counterintuitive for some parents. They don't feel comfortable talking about death or, you know, they'll, they'll be mourning and grieving themselves. And so they say, I, I just can't bring myself to talk about this. And my advice to them is you have to, and you have to use the D word. You have to use, you know, he died or she is now dead or whatever it is. And then you interpret it for them now, based on your family and your family's you know, views and, and things that are important like that. Um, oftentimes parents say things like, you know, Uncle Billy died and he's in a better place. Don't say that because um, the kid may think like Disney World. I mean, that's better than here. I mean, you know, but yeah, I, recognizing better... that they don't they don't think the same way that right. we think when we have those kinds of conversations. Right. So if your family has a religious belief, then you may layer that in there. Um, if your family doesn't, then you don't. But I, I would encourage parents to use the, the hard word, uh, you know, death or dead. And then interpret it. And it may take time. Again, with kids who are especially younger kids, but as they get into adolescence, these things pop into their head at just, you know, out of the clear blue sky, inopportune moments, like you're driving down the road, taking them to school, perhaps. And from the back of the car, the question pops up again about death and you freak out. You think, oh, my goodness, she's still struggling with it. Well, maybe, maybe she's just something reminded her and she wanted to ask you. And that's a great thing. Think about if you're a parent, you want your child coming to you for information. You want your child six months later saying, tell me again about this. You don't want them learning it you know, from anywhere else in the world but your parent. And so that's, I always encourage parents to not be put off by that, but to embrace it. That's a great thing. Yeah, because the, the reluctance to answer the question doesn't make the question go away. And so if your child doesn't have the ability or doesn't feel comfortable discussing, with, discussing it with you, don't be fooled into believing that they will not have that conversation with someone. So you just want to make sure that if you have the opportunity, that's one of those things that we've been talking about when we talk about more complicated topics, whether it's, um, whether it's sex or things related to that, that people may be very uncomfortable discussing. The concept is that, well, these, these are questions that are out there. And as parents, you have an opportunity to be able to own that conversation. You can plant those initial seeds in your child's mind. You can be the first source of information as opposed to the Internet or their friends or someone else who may even want to take advantage of their lack of knowledge or their lack of understanding. So it's a great opportunity. I like that you said that a great opportunity for parents to kind of you can be that that first authority, the first place that your children go to for information. All right. Now that you mentioned sex, we might as well address it because I know people have questions about it when you should talk to your child about sex, how you might introduce the subject, and how should you follow up, and how often should you follow up? I think each family is different. So, um, you know, each family has a probably a, um, a mile marker in their own mind of when they want to talk to their kids about sex. What we usually say is, you need to back that up a year or two. So even if you have a mile marker, probably you need to you know, bring it in a little closer. Yeah, so if it's never minus one, you need to work on <laughs> That's that. That's right. <laughs> and I'll, I'll confess fully here um, that my wife and I have four daughters. And so the deal we made early on was you'd have the talk with them 
about the birds and the bees. I'll teach them to drive. And we both think we got off better than the other one. Um, um, we both think we, But she, I give credit to my wife, she took the opportunity around third or fourth grade to talk about this with uh, the girls because it was around Christmas time. And what does it mean to be have a virgin, virgin birth? And she says, well, let me tell you about that. And so it was one of those things which she didn't want was the kids spending the night in somebody's house, a girl spend the night party, and somebody bring up a subject and have our girls go, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah, so anyway. and then they're like, oh, don't you know? Well, let me tell you. Exactly. <laughs> don't be afraid. And most parents are scared to death. They think, I don't know what to say. Say something. And there, and I, I want to tell my experience because I was I was driving actually we we're driving to this part of the state for the first time we were moving and my I think he was ten or eleven my son asked me a question a benign question about sex and I said do you have questions about it and he said yeah I said well first let me tell you about some things and then when I was done and he was very interested and he and I said do you have any questions I said you can ask me anything and I will give you an honest answer. And he asked questions, and I was very candid with him. And when we were done, he was satisfied. And he, you know, he knew that he could come to me with more questions. And so I felt very positive about that. He did. So it didn't, it didn't create more angst for you? It didn't make you worry? No. That's good. That's really good. And he knew that he could go to you as yes. a source and authority as opposed to... And he did. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think by opening the door, you know, or, or allowing those... Like, not shutting the door... When when the question is raised or when something comes up, is um, is also very important. And plus, the questions that he asked, and some of them were like, "Wow, I can't believe he knows this." Was telling me this is what he and his friends are talking about. Mm-hmm. He's already heard things that are wrong, and I ha- you know I need to correct them in his mind. So you can assume, I think, that a lot of kids they're talking among their friends and they're getting bad information from each other. Correct. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll take another phone call. If you'd like to give us a call, the number is 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or email us at women at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. MPB Think Radio goes off the beaten path with diverse perspectives and award-winning content, attracting an audience who appreciate honesty and value. Sound familiar? Reach your target audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. 
For moments in black history, we highlight Medgar Wiley Evers. As a lifelong Mississippian, Medgar Evers wanted equality for all of its citizens. Becoming an NAACP field secretary in 1954, he was moving his vision in Jackson and around the entire state. Becoming a real key in the desegregation of Ole Miss, Medgar Evers was a real change agent until his assassination in 1963. We salute Medgar Evers for his vision. You can kill a man, but you cannot kill an idea. This has been MPB's Moments in Black History. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. back. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens, our special guest, Dr. David Elkin, who's executive director of the Center for the Advancement of Youth at UMMC, our subject today, talking to teenagers, how to talk to teenagers as a mom or a dad, if you're listening. We're going to go to the phone and say good morning to Dr. Bush calling from Jackson. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Dr. Bush, what, you got some comments or questions for us? Well, first, I have enjoyed listening to the comments, especially from uh, the last gentleman about how talking to the young person, he turned it over to his wife. And um, I could, I wanted to laugh and say, but, you know, he, he had something to say still. And I just appreciated him saying that, but at least he made arrangements for his wife to do it. <laughs> Well, we, we, we did have a, I did talk to the girls as well about it. Um, so I, I have to back up from my original sort of um, hyperbolic statement. <laughs> oh, it was a cute statement, but I thought to myself, you know, this is great. I'm with the Medical Institute for Sexual Health. And one of the things that we have is a curriculum that, and a training that helps parents talk to their young people about sex. I mean, you talk to them about everything else, and why not this, the most important thing? So I really wanted to tell you about this program so that uh, both male and females could feel comfortable talking with the other, though we encourage same-sex mother talking to daughter and father talking to son. But we have a training in Natchez, Mississippi in April, and it is a curriculum that... Uh, helps parents become informed and communicate more effectively with their children on sexual health. So it's a train-the-trainer type deal where you become there. You come there for five. Let me stop. You come to the training for two and a half days, and you learn about how to encourage parents, giving them the essential information that they need to talk to their children before their peers and the media does. So it's really interactive, it's a lot of fun, and it's just two and a half days. But when you leave there, you are equipped to teach sexual help to parents, teen adults. And uh, actually, you can get some CEUs credits for it as well, but you go back into your community and help them. The information is... Um, medically accurate scientific information but it's also on the level that the young people could understand it um if you're interested it's uh going to be in natchez at the grand hotel and it is 
from April 24th through the 26th. And I can get detailed information about the cost of it if uh, you're interested. Well, Dr. Bush, thank you so much for that. For the people in our listening audience who don't know, um, Dr. Bush has been um, a, she's an OBGYN now, but has also um, been a, I guess, for the past 30 or so years, Dr. Bush, without dating you, um, been a a public servant and has um, rendered care to women, obstetrical care and women's health care. And she's been a huge advocate um, not only for women's health issues, but also with um, what is her passion, which is making sure that young people are educated about um, the truth regarding um you know, sex and sexual health and those kinds of things. And so this is just another one of um, the many different um, activities that she's been involved in. And I just appreciate her so much. She's a colleague and has been a good friend of mine over the years. And I just really appreciate you calling in and the work that you've done with respect to helping families to really have these difficult conversations. Um, and also with heightening awareness to the, with respect to the general public about how important this is. Thank you so it much really for calling. Is. Well, I wanted to make one other comment, and that was this is a two-and-a-half-day training, but it's an interactive, it's fun, and when you finish it, you will be able to go back to your community and teach other parents on how to talk to their young people about sex. So the parents are the target, and the studies show that parents are who the young people rely on but the parents don't know what to do so they are not doing it and we want the parents to be more effective in their communication and help their young people make better decisions about their sexual health all right very good thank you so much for calling in dr bush thank you very much um we got a phone call she didn't stay on but she wanted to ask i need to know how to put this all right you know how boys, we know how boys are in terms of their sexuality, <laughs> okay? But there's a certain urgency to their sexuality. And a woman called in wanting to know, how do you make girls feel comfortable to not feel ashamed by their own sexuality and their own needs, even as a teenager? Because the focus seems to be on boys, right, at that age. Well, so so perhaps maybe the, um, the focus may be be on boys or it may seem that way but i think that's kind of that's that's something we have the the power to to change and impact right and so i think by being mindful and not really seeing those kinds of issues as just being um a male issue but recognizing that that there's a process, this whole concept of, of puberty and the change from not having reproductive potential to having reproductive potential. I think that those changes as they are occurring, the way that their bodies are changing um, is a great time and a great way to address them. Um, the context of like the shaming and all those things, it's so there's so many different layers to that, right? It's so multifactorial, whether it's so I always think about the awkward phase that the preteen girls are in. So you haven't quite become curvy and you're kind of, you got this hormone thing that's happening and your body's changing and you're kind of in that little chubby phase or what have you. And, and so they're, they're the issues related to body image and how they are changing and how they might not have fully 
developed into what they are going to be. And so there's that in-between phase that may be difficult. Um, but I think that it's important when you have girls that you recognize that, that these changes are natural and that they occur with everyone and that that is a natural part of life and development. And so you treat it like you would any other discussion. And I think by doing that, recognizing even though that it's sensitive, but by making it more normal, then you kind of take away some of that, that anxiety, that fear, and, and make it more difficult for women, for young girls to be ashamed. They may be shy to talk about it, and that's okay. But just to let them know that these are natural changes that occur with all of us. But what about the aspect of... All right, let me give an example where um, a school, and there have been a number of schools, but recently a school bans girls from wearing skirts that are too short because it's distracting to boys. Well, that's putting the focus on the boys. The boys can't control themselves if a girl's wearing a short skirt. I I think that's a a problem, honestly. Um, And I think that um, if I can put a plug in for dads out there, I think having um, a dad involved in this discussion, especially with daughters, but also with sons, um, is invaluable uh, because it gives a male perspective uh, about we need to control ourselves too. I mean, the, the mark, this, I'm quoting my father again, but the mark of maturity in a human is the ability to deny yourself, to say no to something. Yeah, I want a new car, but I can't get it. But I we're in a this. society where the, where the girl gets blamed, Correct. it seems, in many situations rather Correct. than the boy. Correct. And so you have to teach boys and girls to, the ability to deny themselves, to say, this is something I feel, but I can't. Oh, I can't I can't do this. Now, getting back to your point of shame, we don't want to shame the girl and say those are bad feelings in a right. sense. Um, but at the same time, teaching them about how to approach them in a good mm-hmm. way. Um, so I think having a, a male involved in these conversations can be quite good. Great. All right. We're going to take one more break before we take our next phone call. So, Laura, hang on the line. And if you would like to give us a call, we still have some time left. But you'll probably want to call now at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or email women at mpbonline.org. We are talking about how you talk to your teenagers. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You work hard to offer a high-quality, unique product, and you need an audience that appreciates this. MPB listeners go out of their way to find diverse perspectives and award-winning news and programming. Make our audience your audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. 
this is Bill Ellison, host of Grassroots on MPB. Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass and his band, the Bluegrass Boys, spent many a Saturday night in the 30s and 40s performing at dances. This Saturday night on Grassroots, we'll play one of Bill's favorite dance numbers, the Bluegrass Stomp. Also, we'll check out the new CD from Allison Krauss. Hope you can listen to Grassroots Saturday night at 8 on MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. back for our last segment on Southern Remedy for Women, talking about how to talk to your teenager. And Laura calling in from Petal. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Go ahead. Okay, well, I wanted, I'm at the tail end of raising five children. My youngest is 11 and my eldest is about to be 32. Um, one of the things that I have learned, and I promise I have made every mistake in the book talking to my children, is you answer the question they are asking. Uh, for example, my 10-year-old son asked me, what is a virgin? Well, that caught it, and he did it at dinner, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Pass the peas. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the way I answered it, because my husband refused, was to relate it to baseball. And I said, you know, when you are brand new at playing baseball, that, that person's called a rookie. And he said, uh-huh. And I said, well, somebody who um, hasn't had sex before is called a virgin. They're brand new. They've never done it before. He's like, oh, okay. And that's all he wanted to know. Um, and the same with my teenage girls, which I currently have a 16 and an 18-year-old. Um, I found out that they just want the answer to the question. They don't want all of the detail and history behind it. So uh, having said that, I do have an 18-year-old daughter who's about to graduate high school who is very smart and very mature, in my opinion, for her age. On the other hand, she is wanting to do things that I don't feel that she is quite ready to do, and she's not going off to college. She is going to stay home. Um, trying to explain why I don't want her to go on a road trip cross-country during spring break with a, a couple of classmates uh, in its mix, boys and girls, I, I'm not comfortable with that. And I don't know how to explain it to her. She's like, well, I'm 18. I should be able to do this. How, how do I address those kinds of issues? So I think that your your discussion right here on the phone was a great uh, preamble, Laura. Um, I think you have that discussion with her and just say, I'm not comfortable. And if she says why, I think you should feel free to say, I'm not sure. Um, you, know, you can always list things like, well, you know, you've broken curfew the past three weeks or you know, there may be some, you know, uh, basically flagrant things. But it may just be more of a, a feeling and you can say, I I'm just not comfortable with this, sweetheart. Um, and I, I don't know that you have to give a solid waterproof answer. I think you can just say what you're thinking. Um, it may lead to some conflicts. Um, but the question I'd ask you, too, is what are you looking for? In terms of maturity, what would what would tip you over in allowing her to take this road trip? What would you need to see from her? To, it's to actually not. It's actually not her at all. 
it's the the other children that would well i call them children the other young people that would be going with her um my daughter she has never i we've never had to have a curfew she tells me where she's going she tells me when she's going to come home and she does i i have been very blessed that way with her uh she has great grades she goes to school she doesn't play hooky i mean she's just a very responsible and mature young lady however it's the group that wants to go that i don't feel is mature enough to handle a cross-country trip like this yeah i think that's a great way to put it and i think that you can say what you just said i'm uncomfortable with the group help me resolve my uncomfortableness you know, mm-hmm. um, either that is you don't go with them or you show me how they are mature and they can handle this. But right now where I stand, I just I'm not comfortable with their level of maturity compared to yours. I have every confidence in you, sweetheart. I think you're great. But it's just this group that I'm a little nervous about. What do you think? I, I think that's a great approach and I hadn't thought of it in those terms. So thank you. Wonderful. Listen, one time I got something right in my entire life. <laughs> well, I hope it. I hope it works out. But I like it would give me chest pain too. I think just to think about my my child being on the road with a group of other young people. Um, just all those miles and miles of highway. You know, so much that can happen. And I you know you understand that you can't control everything. But there's a, I think there's a part of us as parents, the, the flawed and fatal part of us, that still would like to, I think the other part is that you want to protect your child as much as you can. And no matter how young or old that child is, and you've got a spectrum, um, you still have that overreaching parental thing that is just like, if there's some way that I could potentially keep you from experiencing any harm or if I could keep you out of danger and if all I have to do is say no then I'm eliminating that danger then I'm gonna do it. Laura have you relaxed because you have a child in her in her or his 30s and then these younger children have you relaxed with each child reaching adulthood? Absolutely not. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Each one of my children is completely unique. Uh, you would barely even know that they were siblings. And so with each one, we have had to uh, mitigate, if you will, our approach to parenting. Um, they, One child is very childlike. She just, the whole world is a big rainbow to be enjoyed, and she just <laughs> doesn't even... consciously understand that she can get hurt. Um, Another child is so overcautious that we pretty much had to give her the boot. Like, go, adventure, have fun, learn about the world. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't, for me, it hasn't gotten easier, but it's certainly, it's certainly been an adventure. Well, Laura, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and great phone call. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. So I have another question. Um, so there's, and and I like the way that Laura said she'd made many mistakes because I, I think about this. Um, and, and I think that there are probably a lot of people in our listening audience who have struggled with this. And you might even know this too, David. But how how is it that if we have been imperfect parents and God forbid our children actually find out, how do we encourage them to not make the same mistakes that we did but how can we 
encourage them to do the right thing or to do something that we're instructing them to do when they have full knowledge <laughs> that we have not done that when we were in their shoes. It's great. And the question that usually comes up, um, we'll just go and put it out there in front of everybody is, let's say, drinking or smoking or something like that. So a child says, I know you drank before you were 21, Dad. So why are you telling me I can't? You know, and you can just say, yeah, I did that. I was wrong. It was against the law then. It's against the law now. And I think that you know you can sort of own up to your mistakes, especially if they know it. I mean, you might as well admit it. If they are, you don't want to lie about that. Uh, but if they know it, you can just show yourself to be, as you said, a flawed human being at yeah. times. And that's not a scary thing. I was stupid. There's no need for you to be stupid. Right. <laughs> I think parents may think that if I own up to mistakes, then somehow I've lost authority, or that the child sees me as a peer, or I've lost that ability to tell them what to do. Absolutely not. You still have that authority. You, you can just own up to the fact that yeah, I'm a human, too. I love that. Parents as humans. What a novel idea. And I, <laughs> I still feel like I'm 20 and I'm not. <laughs> and getting back to uh, Laura a little bit, I, I think one time my son t- said to me, I wish you wouldn't worry so much. I'm fine. Why do you worry so much? And I said, because I'm your mother and that's what mothers do. Because that's how I feel. I will. I don't. I can't imagine ever stop worrying. Right, and we have to deal with that as well. I mean, I, my mom had the same uh, quote. She said, "There were times, son, when we saw you just staring out the window of the backyard, and we were worried about you." I said, "Mom, I, I think I was just staring out the backyard. I just, you know, there's nothing going on." Um, but you know, learning how to let go. At what point do you not worry about your kids? Probably never, as yeah. you said, Michelle. Oh my gosh! When yeah. oh let a let a thunderstorm come through Jackson and it be on the on the news, my mom will call me. Is everything okay? Yeah. You know, or anytime, anytime anything happens, I was at a, before Katrina hit, I was at a family reunion for that weekend. And I remember my mom saying, you should probably get on the road because we don't want you to get caught in that bad weather. And, you know, granted, she sent me east into the hurricane world, but <laughs> I mean, sent me west into it as opposed to staying where I was, which was east. But it's that same concept. And I don't know that that, I don't know that that ever really fully goes away, but I think that you know, over time, it probably gets a little easier. As a dad, does it go away? Uh, it, it doesn't really go away. Um, I mean, but I think, you, as you said, you have to sort of conquer that fear in a sense, because your goal here is to produce an adult. That's what we're trying to do. We don't want them. And there's a TV ad out there years ago that said, the mom says, I wish I could freeze them at this age forever. And my father-in-law was watching with me and he said, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> you know, we're raising Adults. We're trying to get them to be adults. When we put our oldest daughter on the plane to Berlin last summer to do study abroad, I almost died. But she had to do that, and she had to get through it herself and figure out and make mistakes. And that's what we're trying to do is raise adults. And I think sometimes if you don't let them make mistakes, you kind of are you end up doing exactly the opposite of that. You end up creating a bubble. Are, they're in a bubble. Yeah. And then they end up being entirely or more dependent than they should be. Correct. I mean, so everybody can't just stay little to their carters wear out, I guess. They That's a good phrase. <laughs> <laughs> On that, we have to end the show. Dr. Elkin, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. Great show. Uh, Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show was engineered by Sam Wells, our call screener, Java Chapman. For Dr. Michelle Owens, I'm Karen Brown. I hope you'll join us again next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy for Women. And keep listening. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.